Out with KNBC, and I'm talking with Trey Crowder. Thanks for joining me today. Yeah, thanks for having me. All right. Well, you've made a name for yourself as the the liberal redneck on social media, and I've been following you for a while. I appreciate you giving a voice to something that gets overlooked quite a bit, and I'm interested in, in the genesis of this idea and where you came up with this uh, this, this angle. Uh, well, honestly, the genesis and uh, the angle and all that was just from my background and childhood and stuff because it's been, you know, it's pretty authentic to my actual experience. I grew up in a really, really rural area uh, in Tennessee, so deep south, very rural, like no traffic lights, no McDonald's, none of that stuff. And so, and poor, white trash, like pretty stereotypical redneck upbringing and as long as i've ever been politically inclined at all so starting in about high school or thereabouts i've just always been uh you know a godless commie i've been progressive the whole time so like when i started thinking more and more seriously about doing comedy and whatnot uh in my early 20s because i started stand up in 2010 uh i sort of knew the whole time before i ever even started that my comedy would kind of reflect all of that you know so it wasn't it's definitely not contrived and it wasn't something i had to even think very hard about it just came very naturally to me yeah yeah it seems that way how does a person who's raised in a in a small town like that how did you kind of end up that way i guess is is what i've I've been wondering Um, well, I, the main thing that I typically point to is um, that I have a I have a gay uncle that I'm very close with, and he didn't he didn't like teach me politics or nothing like that. It's just that his brother, my dad, uh, it was just the two of them, the only two siblings, my dad and my uncle Tim, and my dad mostly raised me uh, like mostly single father situation, mm-hmm. and so because he had a gay brother, my dad was. Uh, you know, he didn't go to church at all, and he was more open-minded than your average old boy around the area, I guess. And not just my dad, but also my main mom and pa, their parents, too. And I mean, like, you didn't openly talk about Uncle Tim being gay at the dinner table with my, with my papa sitting there, but, like, you know, he knew it wasn't a secret, and Uncle Tim's partner was always there at Thanksgiving and Christmas and all that. They didn't ostracize him or disown him or anything, and um, and it just sort of led to our family being a little more open-minded than usual, I think. And very importantly, in my opinion, not having anything to do with the church. So I grew up pretty much a religious, which is very uncommon for that area. And I think that also had a huge amount to do with it. Right. Right. That's, that's kind of an interesting thing. Cause I, I grew up here in, in, um, in, in Nevada in a rural town. Um, but out here in the West, that religion isn't as, as big of a deal as it is in the South. Um, right. so it's more, right. you know, it, it's more common to, to not, but how, how uncommon was that for you in, in your hometown where, I mean, were you like the only family or were you like just a, you know, small percentage? No, it's weird. It's weird. I've actually thought about this myself kind of recently because I always talk about it being uncommon because, like, culturally speaking, it was uncommon. Like, the church and religion was very, like, you didn't openly make fun of or mock the Bible or Jesus or anything like that, for sure. And it definitely culturally was a very uh, pervasive thing. But at the same time, I mean, when I actually think about all of my good buddies that I grew up with, uh, back at home 
pretty much none of us went to church because, hmm. and it's mostly because um, me and all my group of friends, the other thing is very poverty, poverty stricken area. We were all pretty much to a man with a couple of exceptions. We were like products of broken homes. Everybody's parents were divorced, drug addicts, stuff like that. Hmm. And, you know, people in those situations aren't often going to church very much, or at least in my hometown anyway. So like, but I think we were kind of the first generation for it to be like that because we were the, we were the ones who were children when everything fell apart, when the factory left town and Oxycontin showed up and all that, Mm -hmm. and everything just went completely to crap uh, for that town and that sort of way of life. We were the lucky ones who got to grow up during all of that. And I think that, we were kind of the first generation to not really have to go to church all the time. I think before us, pretty much everybody went to church pretty much all the time, or at least that's how it seemed to me. Yeah. Yeah. That's interesting. Cause it, it fits into that, that time frame. I think you're about the same age as me. I'm, I'm 42 and uh, we, we kind of, uh, at least I, I age wise fit into that time when um, religion um, has been on the decline, you know, and, and, and people are going to church right. less and less. And, um, it, it, it is an interesting thing where it's like, it has this cultural impact, but, um, less and less people are going to it. And so it's, it's, this weird kind of deal, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Because most of those guys, not all of them, again, a couple of exceptions, but most of those guys I was talking about that I grew up with, I mean, I'm, we're all still friends and kept, kept in touch the whole time. And most of those guys are politically speaking um, on the same page as me. Maybe not as hardcore lefty as I am, but mm-hmm. like generally speaking, you know, they hate Donald Trump. They're certainly not conservatives. And we all grew up in the same town. And I think it's, you know, that shared experience we had when we were kids probably contributed to that, I assume. Right. Are, are those guys still in that town or did they end up leaving as well? Um,. Well, the, everybody's either everybody's either in our hometown or actually mostly in the general area there. It's like a, it's called the Upper Cumberland. Again, very rural, kind of um, mostly poverty-stricken part of Middle Tennessee, and it's a group of like rural counties. And everybody's pretty much in that general area there, if not literally in our hometown. There's only two exceptions: me, and then the other guy is a. Uh, physicist at thomas jefferson national laboratory uh and like goes to nuclear physics conferences and speaks and stuff around the world uh so right yeah pretty weird so what outcome as far as far as that goes but to me it's kind of like that's what that's what it takes to get you out of that general area you either gotta like you know break into show business or be a literal rocket scientist otherwise you're pretty much going to be around there for the long haul right yeah i could see that you know um so like post high school as you um uh, became an adult and whatnot did you go straight into comedy or did you go to college at all or what what was that like after that um i went to college at in this town that's it's called the hub of the upper Cumberland. It's the biggest town in that region. I was just telling you about It's where everybody in that region goes to Walmart and stuff, but I went to Walmart and college there. It's called (laughs) Tennessee tech university, Tennessee tech university in Cookville, Tennessee. That's actually where most of my friends live now. So it was still in the region where I grew up, not that far away. 
I knew I wanted to do comedy already at that point, but Cookville, that town, it's not that big of a town. It was, I mean, it was a metropolis to me compared to where I grew up, but it's not a big town and uh, it didn't have any kind of comedy club, still doesn't. At that time, there were no open mic nights or anything. There are a couple now. But so while I was going to college, I mostly just focused on, you know, the the usual grades and girls getting hammered and all that. Right, right. And but knowing I wanted to do stand up though, and then when I graduated college, I got a job in the Knoxville area, and they did have a comedy club. And as soon as I moved up there for that job, I started going to open mics and stuff. So it was, uh, you know, right after I got out of college is when I actually took the plunge. Gotcha. Yeah. Yeah. I was kind of um, interested in, in just the, the, the formation of the, the political uh, ideas. I and mean, obviously you're a little to the left growing up and whatnot. You shared that, but um, it, for, for me anyway, going to college just kind of opened up my idea, my, my mind to just a lot of other possibilities um, that were out there. And um, yeah, it, it seemed like it had yeah. an impact on me, you know? Well, it's funny because, I mean, college definitely broadened my horizons a lot more, too, for sure. But specifically, politically, um, like, it's funny because it, it wasn't, that wasn't really my experience at college because I had always been the, like, you know, token liberal weirdo in my town. And so, like, but what that meant was when I got to college, I very much assumed that everybody there agreed with me about everything because in my head it was Mm -hmm. like yeah well you know liberals we're the we're the smart people and the smart people they go to college so obviously all these people agree with me it was this very simplistic way i had of looking at things so it actually college kind of um was politically educational for me in a kind of different direction actually because i met a bunch of smart people while i was there and then especially in the job i had after college who didn't agree with me about anything. And uh, that was very illuminating for me. Yeah. Yeah. Cause the, the, the common concept is that it's all, you know, godless liberals, like you say at, at, at colleges, but I, at least I encountered um, really smart libertarian, economically conservative right. guys, you know, and, and uh, they had a whole, you know, bunch of books that they're into and authors and, and, and philosophies and stuff. And it, that was kind of eye opening right. to me. There was a, there's the Jason Isbell song, white man's world, where in one of the yeah. verses he, he laments, you know, not having said something, you know, um, when, when he was, uh, right. when he was a kid and whatnot, but I, I'm interested in, 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 um, your perspective on, on how things have progressed over time. Uh, the, the people where you're from, you yourself, family members and things like that. Um, what, what's your perspective on, on how things have changed since like you were in high school to where we are now? Is black or white in my experience, but you know, right. It's just the way it is. Right. Well, speaking of black and white, there's a lot of, uh, issues going along, um, uh, those lines these days and, and, uh, obviously the black lives matter movement. And, um, you've been, um, uh, posting a lot about that. Well, I, this is not going to be the answer you expect, I think, because this is another situation where I had a really, really specific perspective on a thing that I didn't realize until much later in life was very, very skewed and very, uh, you know, unbi- or very biased and not the norm. And it's that, and I've talked about this on my podcast and stuff before, but like, I, I did grow up in this very, very rural area, extremely small town, but unlike a lot of similar towns, at least in Tennessee, where I'm from, we had, we had a black community there and we still have a black community there. Uh, and so like, 
we went to school. Uh, there's only one one high school in the whole entire county. So, like, you know, white kids and black kids go to school together and all mm-hmm. that. And uh, the, the black community and the black kids in school are definitely very much the minority. But a, the ages just sort of worked out that when I was in high school, um, we had a fair number of black kids in our our school at that time. And in my grade in particular, and we all played sports together and all this stuff and everything. And I, and like people did not, there were the few, like they were known as sort of the racist a-holes, you know, in the school Hmm. who would say the N word for the most part, people didn't really say it openly when I was in school because like, you know, Cedric wasn't having that, you know, like that was a good way to get, that was a good way to get your, you know, uh, butt whipped. Um, right. keep, keep remember the FCC guidelines, but yeah. <laughs> and that was sort of the way it was. So people, it, people didn't really do that. The problem with that, such that there is one is that like, it led me to think, cause you know, I grew up in this tiny middle of nowhere place, dirt poor. I never went anywhere. I never took any kind of vacation or went anywhere my entire childhood until, you know, until I was grown. Mm-hmm. I didn't know anything about any other place. And it gave me this inaccurate, uh, perception that like, that kind of thing didn't really happen anymore, you know, mm. like that it wasn't as much of a thing as people tried to act like it was. Right. I didn't right. realize until I left and started talking to other people from similar towns as mine and hearing some of the horror story stories of racism that they told me about that I realized that like it was very much still a thing. It was very per- pervasive still. And I just kind of had this isolated and misleading experience it's not just my town my little sister heard me talking about that and told me that like it kind of blew her mind because in her grade which she's like she was coming into high school as i was coming out they don't have as many black kids and she was talking about how that was not even her experience at all just Hmm. one like one high school generation behind me it was rampant with racism and people saying awful stuff and everything so it's like it's not even just my hometown it was like the specific window in which I grew up in my hometown kind of led me to have this, uh, you know, inaccurate perception on that, on that whole thing. So it's kind of hard for me to even say how things have changed, you know, as far as all that goes, I certainly get the impression and I have the hope that that type of thing is less of a problem now in towns like mine. I feel like, you know, meeting kids are like high school age now even in towns like mine they mostly seem uh better than we were in my Mm. opinion so um i'm hoping that it's improved but yeah it's kind of it's kind of hard for me to say though because i had a weird experience with that right yeah you know i'm I'm a high school teacher now um and i I do this radio show you know it's a community radio station but my main job is 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 i teach high school uh, history and psychology and in i've been doing it for 15 years now and in in that 15 years i've noticed um kids and our town's getting bigger too when i was a kid it was right around twenty thousand people and now we're up to about um uh, 55 50 55,000 or so um but as time has gone by the kids like kids used to just casually say like oh that's so gay that's so gay like they just say it all the time right you know 10 years and now, now that was definitely a thing went back in my day like that type of stuff that for sure was very pervasive and happened all the time but right, anyway go right. ahead no yeah and, but but nowadays they they don't and 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 um right it's not like kids don't get bullied for being gay or don't get bullied for being a little you know feminine or this or that but like 
they it's pretty much unacceptable for high school kids to if if you were to openly make fun of a, a gay kid for being gay that you would get like beat up so it almost feels that way you know it's like right. kind of done this reverse deal you know so yeah it, it, right. well, see, it's that, changing that way you like, know? yeah i've i've heard that and again when i talk to whenever i have the rare occasion to talk to a high school kid like nowadays i get that impression and like you know that's great and and that now that if you isolated it to homophobia if you had told me that when i was in high school i would not have believed you that would have blown my mind that that like gay marriage would be legal and also that it would be that acceptable to that degree you're talking about because that was very much not the case when i was in high school i wasn't gay but i got made fun of for like being you know i got called the f word and all that stuff just a because i had a gay uncle and b because like i liked to read and was good in school and whatnot so that made me a huge you know and uh and i got you know that part of it was very much a thing and people just casually that's so gay that's so gay that was very much a thing and the idea that you could get you could catch hell socially in high school for being mean to or making fun of a gay kid or something would have absolutely blown my mind um, when I was in high school, for yeah. sure. And in a good way. That's great to hear. Sure. Yeah, yeah, it's interesting. Well, you know, um, I, I've been thinking a lot about the, uh, the the statues in the South, and that's kind of a big issue with Black Lives Matter and, and you know, all the Confederate statues, the legacy of Jim Crow and whatnot. But I read an article here in, in, in my town, and um, I live in Carson City. It's the capital of Nevada, named after Kit Carson, right. the, the pioneer. And um, the we have a, a, a statue of him on our legislative grounds. And um, the the article was raising the question, should we tear down that monument uh, because of how he treated Native Americans? He was involved in killing of Native Americans and whatnot. Um, but he was also, um, he married a Native American. He spoke many different languages. And it, it, it ends up being one of these like complicated um, uh, sort of deals. I, I'm interested in, in your perspective, not on him particularly, but um, just like a, as society shifts and we accept gay marriage and, and people... Uh, it's become more mainstream to say black lives matter. Now, as the country shifts, what are some things that you might be kind of like struggling with the ideas like defund the police or abolish the police? Or, um, are, are there any like, um, you know, like, like shifts in thinkings that, that, um, that make you a little like, huh, I, I'm not, I'm not sure about that. Are there any, any issues out there like that for you? Um, I mean, the main one for me, is definitely only because I'm a comedian. Because in my experience, almost every comedian you find, for the most part, to some degree, feels the same way about the whole uh, political correctness thing. Like, mm. I think that goes way too far sometimes. And even as, like, you know, a full-bore godless liberal, sometimes that stuff is just... It, you know, it's ridiculous. And it's also, to me, it adds fuel to the fire of the opposing side. Well, you know, all the things they think about us, it makes them appear to be true with being overly sensitive and that type of thing. Mm -hmm. Don't get me wrong. There's been plenty of, of those uh, scenarios where like it was very much justified, but like, this is going to be kind of inside baseball. Probably. I don't think this was mainstream. So you may not, you're probably not going to know what I'm talking about, but recently there was this, brilliant comedy writer named Megan Amram, who was the subject of a bunch of cancellation stuff because of some old tweets of hers. And they were like, 
they were racially insensitive tweets, but they were clearly jokes. They weren't that bad. They were more funny than they were offensive, and they were from 10 years ago, and it was just she issued a public apology. She's going to be fine. Um, It's not going to torpedo her career, but the fact that she even had to, like, go through that I just thought was so ridiculous. Like, it Mm -hmm. was not – when James Gunn got fired by Disney from the Guardians of the Galaxy franchise, I thought that was absurd. They've since, like, you know, kind of acknowledged that by bringing him back. But, like, you know, that is probably the biggest sort of, like, liberal uh, talking point or issue, I guess, that I most often uh, have a, a problem with. I definitely think that whole thing goes way too far sometimes. It's great that Pete, you don't just wantonly call things gay in a negative fashion and all of that. That's all wonderful, political correctness, all that stuff you're saying about what people say the N-word 20 years ago versus today. Mm-hmm. That's all the positive aspects of, you know, the PC movement. Right. But we're at a point now where I think it's starting to be pushed a little too far and needs to be reined in some, in my opinion. So that's that's probably the main one for right. me. Yeah, in, in your line of work too, comedy is, is right. all about pushing those boundaries and whatnot. And, and yeah, right. you, you probably butt up against that quite a bit. Yeah, one time, just real quick, one time I got, uh, uh, I, I had I had one of my videos was going to be like reposted by some super super like ultra leftist um, like content aggregator on social media, like somebody with a an account with a huge amount of followers so it really spreads your profile and everything so it's good when they re-host your stuff and they give mm-hmm. you credit and whatnot. But mm-hmm. when they did it, they, without even saying anything to me, they took it upon themselves to edit out a line in my video uh, while I was talking about this redneck lady's kids. I called them trailer babies or something. No, not or something. I called them trailer babies and some of her being trash and stuff. And they, mm-hmm. uh, and she was, it was just like, horrifically homophobic woman it wasn't kim whatever her name was kim davis but it was somebody of her ilk like that right and i didn't regret it at all they took it out and i saw they'd done that and asked them what that was about and they said well they thought it was classist and they didn't want to you know they weren't about that uh so they took it out and i kind of flipped out on them was like you know i am a trailer baby i grew up dirt poor in the middle of nowhere (laughs) my mom was a pill head like i'll say whatever i want about trailer americans you know what i mean right. you're not i'm not gonna have you tell me what jokes i can make about poor people given my experience you know and uh that is just an example of the type of thing that i find infuriating where you know pc culture people don't take into account context anymore when to me context and intent are everything mm-hmm. where uh you know where offense is concerned and if you're not paying any attention to that, if you're only looking at the words that were said without any, you know, attention to, to the context or the intent of it, then it's completely pointless. But it happens all the time. And, yeah, I just I have a problem with that. Right, right. You know, I, I think about that as a teacher because um, kids just video like they it's like magic. They, their phones just appear out of nowhere and, and there'll be videos. And I'll have kids tell me like, oh, Mr. Houck, we saw you on Snapchat yesterday saying something. And I'm like, I didn't even see a kid like with his phone out. What? How did he even do that? And so I'm always thinking about yeah. like what uh, what if I say something, you know, and it gets out there and then it's out of context, you know, and that's like I'm trying to. 
yeah. explain this one thing and but it's out of context and it sounds horrible and i'm just like uh, it's a constant anxiety for me you know so yeah well oh and the thing is like i am i am so easy to take out of context i've had a lot of jokes i've touched on this a lot and i've had bits and jokes about stuff but it's true like with my accent it's so easy to take me out of context. You know what I mean? Cause like yeah. I could be saying something about black people or Mexicans. And it's like, I'm, what I'm saying is actually <laughs> very supportive and progressive, but it's not going to sound like it. If you just isolate a certain part of it, it's going right. to sound like some redneck old boy on yet another tirade, you know, racist tirade. So yes, I absolutely think about that, uh, as well, but you know, whatever, cross that bridge when I get to it, yeah. burn it probably. We'll see. <laughs> Cool, man. Well, you know, this the, my, my show is, is mainly music and whatnot, so I, I wanted to hear about um, your, your taste in music. You, you quoted uh, Patterson Hood this week in one of your videos in Drive-By Truckers, and, and uh, that's my favorite band. Uh, that my, my intro music is, is Marry Me from Drive-By Truckers. And so I'm interested to yeah. hear. Um, you, you like that song, too? I love that song. Oh, it's so good. I, um, they were Drive-By discovering drive-by truckers was huge for me in my you know adolescence and and my like sort of cultural development and otherwise in a lot of different ways my dad my dad was like a rock and roll purist you know he i used to tell people he raised me on the three b's the beatles the boss and bowie <laughs> i couldn't figure out how to fit leonard skinner in that alliterative framework of mine uh, but they were also definitely a huge part of it um but the first the first band, the first music that I ever introduced my dad to that he approved of and that he became a fan of was the Truckers. Huh. So that was like seminal for me. But also they sort of like represent I could tell that me and them were of a kind, you know, that we were cut from the same cloth. They had this whole thing. It's like you can be explicitly Southern without being a stereotypical redneck dumbass, basically, which was something I've already been grappling with internally my whole life up until that point. And they just sort of, you know, kind of illustrated that perfectly. So they very quickly became my very favorite band, you know, at the time. And they meant a lot to me. Uh, and then in the past few years, I've gotten to know them and they're all great guys. And it's been a huge highlight of mine. So hmm. yes, I, uh, I adore the truckers and you could probably, you could probably guess where the rest of my case lie, uh, with recent artists. I love, I love Isbel. I love Sturgill Simpson. I love Tyler Childers. Mm -hmm. I found this kid somewhat recently named Zach Bryan, who I think's got a lot of promise, but that's, uh, Sarah, Sarah Shook mm -hmm. uh, is great. Um, yeah, I interviewed her Lydia on my Loveless. show. Yeah. I love Sarah. She's, She's great. wonderful. So it's that sort of like, you know, I'm making air quotes right now, Americana, because like to me, people, people ask me out here, you know, that don't really listen to that type of stuff at all. They're like, Americana, what is that? And my jo half joking response has always been, as far as I can tell, Americana is just country music. That's good. Uh, if, it's, <laughs> if it's good, then it's called Americana. And if it's like radio pop garbage, then it's called country music. That seems to be how it works to me, right. but I don't, um, those are my like favorites and the ones I'm culturally, you know, the most connected to, but I'm a big music guy. Cause my dad was too. And I don't, I actually don't believe in like, uh, you know, any genre being better than the other. I believe in the, 
you can find in any given genre, you can find an artist or more multiple artists who do it well Mm -hmm. and who you connect to. So like, there's plenty of rappers I love rap and hip hop's probably my number two behind Americana and all that. And then, but also like there's heavy metal bands that I love and listen to. There's, I love, I love the national. I listen to movie scores and classical music sometimes, you know, there's just classical pianist named Jan Pearson and Jan goes hard. I love Jan. So like, you know, my tastes are, my tastes are pretty eclectic, but if I had to pick one, it, yeah, it would be, country americana and you know like i said not too surprising but that's you know the songs of my people right yeah you know i heard americana described as country music for hippies and i i feel like yeah. that i don't know who said that but i read it somewhere i saw it and i was like that's it it's like country music for for like left-wing you know um like rural right. people you and know? i mean it is but like you know tyler children's one best americana album and he went up there and he went on a little mini tirade which i agree with him on oh i should have mentioned american aquarium too i love them but oh, anyway yeah uh, that new one's great tyler's up there and he's he's like uh you know um he's like i'm glad i won this forever but like i don't i don't make americana music i make country music i've always made country music i've only ever wanted to make country music and i'm a country musician i don't i don't even know what americana is you know or whatever and right. like that's pretty much how I've always felt about it too. I mean, I know that like what Isbel does is not some of his songs are just straight up country songs, but a lot of them, they're not country songs. So he fits into that. But a lot, I think a lot of what gets called Americana is just, it should just be called country music. In my opinion, it's just that country music has become its own separate thing, which bears no resemblance to what I call country music in my mind, you know? So it's all gotten weird. It is. Genres are, are super strange. The weird thing about country right. music to me is that the accent that they sing in, in, in main mainstream country is like, it's like some made up thing that doesn't exist really anywhere. You know, like, like you, you have a Southern yeah. accent, you know, and, and mostly Americana guys I listen to have a, have a draw to them. And when they, when they sing, it comes out. But like, when you listen to like mainstream country, it's like, what even is that? Like, it's this weird I don't know. That that's the thing that turns me off on mainstream country because it just sounds so contrived. Often, you know. Well, the, well, yeah. It, I mean, it is. That's what I was going to say. It's that the, that accent, that voice you're talking about, it's just one of the many factors that they sort of like assemble in a lab to, you know, according to this formula they have that produces like a country hit. So it is extremely contrived. But it's all contrived. The chord progressions, the content, you know. Uh, the voice. I mean, all of it is. And yeah, I'm just, that's the only, I'm generally very respectful of music and musical genres. The only time I'll get really fired up and be spitting bile about anything is, is where radio country is concerned. I'm not, (laughs) not a fan. I I hear you. All right, man. Well, uh, we kind of wrap up here, but uh, I was just kind of wondering um, what you, what you think the, the the trajectory of American politics is right now. I know things seem kind of, out of control right now but i'm wondering yeah. long term what, what, what where, where do you think we're headed as a country well i mean i'm actually an optimist when it comes to all that i have been for i just think if you look back at human history there are blips and there are dips here and there but generally speaking all we've done is progress ever forward as a society and as a civilization things are despite how terrible everything is right now and like pandemic aside i'm talking about in a macro sense things are better right now for more people on planet earth and in this country than they ever have been. And I don't, 
I don't think that's going to suddenly just get reversed. In fact, I think that uh, I think that all of this is sort. Here's what I tell myself when it comes to Trump and his ilk and the alt right and the Nazis and all this type of stuff. I try to tell myself that it's like these are all of this is sort of like the death throes of this old America, sort of mm. like, you know, they're they're louder now. They seem more dangerous, everything now, I think, because they know that they're losing. They know that, you know, um, the future is not particularly bright for them and their way of life and philosophy. And they're sort of lashing out at that. But I just don't think and it makes for difficult times, you know, in the present. But I think it's part of like a necessary growing process and we will come out the other side of it eventually um, much better off and much, you know, better prepared to be the type of society that we, you know, should have been the whole time. And I'm hopeful, very, very hopeful, but I don't want to jinx anything that, you know, that will start in, you know, in November. But we'll see. But yeah, I remain hopeful. I have, I have seven and eight year old sons, and so like that's definitely part of it. You got to hold on to hope. But I genuinely am though. I think that, um, I think that we got them on the ropes, honestly, and we just got to keep pushing. We ain't never-